start the show with a moment of silence for Dennis Pitta. Dennis Pitta was the first player deemed out for the season in 2017. It was shocking that Dennis Pitta was able to make it back from multiple hip dislocations. Essentially, he broke his hip twice, an injury similar to what ruined Bo Jackson's sporting career. And yet last year, Dennis Pitta played all 16 games, logged a 77.5% snap share, commanded 121 targets, and led the NFL in tight end receptions with 86. 86 receptions for Dennis Pitta. Ask any football fan on the street who led all tight ends in receptions last season. They would name 30 players before getting to Dennis Pitta. I mean, his yards per target was six, which was 46th in the league. So he was a volume-fueled, highly inefficient player in 2016. That's why he wasn't being drafted in the top 20 tight ends in either Dynasty or Redraft. Now, we were going to have Dennis Pitta in our top 20 redraft tight ends this season until the injury. And our seasonal rankings are now available. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. You can see where we have all players ranked for 2017. If you're a regular listener to this show, the best thing you can do is subscribe to the rankings. They are the supplemental tool to listening to this show. But now what? 121 targets from Dennis Pitta were vaporized this weekend. This is in addition to 102 targets that Steve Smith took with him to retirement. That's well over 200 targets vacated by just two players. Who will inherit those targets for the Baltimore Ravens? That's one of the great questions in all of fantasy football. That may be the most important question in all of fantasy football. The singular burning question. Who's going to get those Baltimore Ravens targets? Because you know their run game is not going to be effective in 2017. With Terrence West and Kenneth Dixon back there last year, the Baltimore Ravens threw the ball 712 times. Joe Flacco wasn't throwing it efficiently, but he was throwing it a lot. And that's what matters most in redraft volume, opportunity. Who's going to get the opportunity? We already know it's Mike Wallace. We can't project Mike Wallace to get yet more targets after the Dennis Pitta injury, can we? How could you? We already had Mike Wallace projected 10 slots ahead of consensus on our wide receiver rankings. Again, go to playerprofile.com forward slash player dash rankings to see our seasonal ranks. And we have Mike Wallace right there with Pierre Garçon, Julian Edelman, and Deshaun Jackson. Is he as good as those wide receivers? Hell no! Hell no! Mike Wallace is the worst wide receiver in the top 35. But he also is in the best situation. Mike Wallace is on the ideal team to receive targets he doesn't deserve. Think I liked putting Mike Wallace in my top 40? Think I enjoyed that? No! Ew! Mike Wallace is going to be a lot closer to DeAndre Hopkins this year than anyone wants to believe. I mean, if Mike Wallace outproduces DeAndre Hopkins and Emmanuel Sanders and Eric Decker, Larry Fitzgerald, Devontae Adams, would you be surprised? No. Are we ranking Mike Wallace ahead of Devontae Adams? Of course not. One's tethered to Joe Flacco. The other's tethered to Aaron Rodgers. We're not masochists, but it's close. But with these Dennis Pitta targets going away, we start to 
be affected by the law of diminishing returns. Mike Wallace has never commanded a significant target share in his career. So there's only so many targets that we can project Mike Wallace to get. Even last year, when he was relatively efficient, 8.7 yards per target plus 4.8 production premium on playerprofiler.com. So on every given down and distance, Mike Wallace was giving you above average efficiency. On a per target basis, Mike Wallace was more productive than the average wide receiver. The three seasons before that, negative production premiums. So Mike Wallace was shockingly efficient last year, and even in the face of shocking efficiency in 2016, Mike Wallace still only garnered a 17.5% target share. We're projecting the targets to go down under 700 this year because of course they are. We're not projecting any team to throw the ball more than 700 times. That was an outlier. And despite that, we're still forecasting Mike Wallace's targets to rise and therefore his target share will rise by a significant percentage. He'll be a lot closer to 25% target share than a 17% target share. What are you going to do? That's where the diminishing returns come in. What about Brashad Perriman? Well, I'm already projecting Brashad Perriman to double his target share from last year. And that makes me very uncomfortable. Anytime you project a player to jump from 66 targets to 100 targets, that has to make you uncomfortable because I'm not sure that Brashad Perriman is up to the task. We haven't seen Brashad Perriman ever command a significant target share on an NFL field. We haven't seen Brashad Perriman be efficient on an NFL field. His production premium, target premium, yards per target, all outside the top 50 last year. Why? 50% catch rate. That was 92 in the NFL. What's interesting, though, is his contested catch rate was 80%. So he was catching the difficult targets, and he was dropping the easier targets. 6.1% drop rate. That was above average. So can he clean up the concentration drops? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's just not wired in a way that will allow him to be an efficient NFL wide receiver. We have no idea what we have in Brashad Perriman. He's the ultimate enigma wide receiver. Runs a 4-3-0, a 4-3-0 at 6-2-2-12. That's a 125.7, 99th percentile height adjusted speed score with well above average burst. This guy is one of the most exciting athletic specimens in the NFL at any position. And yet we're not sure if he understands the nuances of the position enough to justify a 100-target season. Can he be fantasy viable? I don't know! I don't know! I wish I had that kind of certainty. I wish I could sit in front of this microphone and tell you, go get Brashad Perriman. Don't care what his ADP is. Just make sure you get this guy. He has a WR1 in fantasy ceiling. He does. I just don't know what the probability of him reaching that ceiling is. The Brashad Perriman projection is the most ambiguous on our seasonal rankings. I'm being honest. It's the projection I have the least confidence in. And adding 120 more targets from Dennis Pitta doesn't help. Do you understand how it doesn't help? The last thing wide receivers for the Baltimore Ravens need right now are more targets. They already had more targets than they can efficiently convert. But there is a wide receiver on the Baltimore Ravens that I have upstacked significantly in seasonal leagues. We boosted him 20 slots in the rankings after the Dennis Pitta injury. His name's Michael Campanaro. That little Campanaro. Sprained his toe in minicamp and he's out. Reports from Baltimore are that he's likely not going to return and they hope he'll be ready for training camp in July. That's the hope. 
Who knows? It's Michael Campanaro. You can set your watch by Michael Campanaro minicamp injuries. But if he can somehow start the season on the active roster without an IR designation, Michael Campanaro is perfectly equipped to absorb all of those additional targets close to the line of scrimmage and over the middle that Dennis Pitta vacated. Michael Campanaro has a 128.9, 96th percentile Spark X score because he has a 1078, 92nd percentile agility score. That's what you want in your slot receiver. Elite agility, just like Julian Edelman. Michael Campanaro's best comparable player on playerprofiler.com, Julian Edelman. Michael Campanaro, when healthy at the college level, was a dominant force. Evidenced by a 59.5%, 98th percentile dominator rating at Wake Forest, a Power 5 conference program. Go watch the tape, Michael Campanaro, at Wake Forest. That boy was always open. Every single play, Michael Campanaro was open. So if I were selecting the last round wide receiver du jour in the wake of this Dennis Pitta injury, it would have to be Michael Campanaro. He's the guy who we can see popping and becoming fantasy viable on a weekly basis if he can stay healthy because of the vacated targets and because the competition for those targets on the target totem pole are a notoriously inefficient Mike Wallace and a complete enigma in Brashad Perriman. Now, what about Chris Moore? Chris Moore is also interesting. 10-19 catch radius for Chris Moore, but he's not actually fast, and he doesn't have good comps. My problem with Chris Moore is we have very, very, very few impressive comps for Chris Moore. His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Kevin Dorsey. And when you go down the list of comps, it's a lot of guys that look a lot like Kevin Dorsey that didn't fire at the NFL level. There's a lot of players with above average burst and agility that never become fantasy viable assets. And typically the college dominator reveals this outcome years in advance. And sure enough, with Chris Moore, the college dominator, 23.7%, 32nd percentile at Cincinnati. It's not like he posted a below average college dominator at Ohio State or Alabama or LSU. No, it was at Cincinnati. You gotta dominate the production in the passing game at Cincinnati, Chris. But he's another one of these low BMI receivers. The reason why we have a hard time finding successful comps for Chris Moore is because at 6-1-205, he's simply not sturdy enough to win over the middle and to beat NFL cornerbacks at the line of scrimmage consistently. That's the problem that so many of these wide receivers that look like Tajay Sharp have at the next level. Even Tajay Sharp had a great college dominator. Once he started matching up with NFL cornerbacks, he was overwhelmed. I think Chris Moore will be overwhelmed by NFL caliber cornerbacks in 2017 in a way that Michael Campanaro will not. And this whole conversation about who's going to capture some of these additional Dennis Pitta vacated targets is working under the assumption that a one-for-one one replacement for Dennis Pitta does not exist on the depth chart, but I think that that's a mistake. I think it's fun to think about Michael Campanaro receiving a target boon underneath, 
but that's actually unlikely. That's why Michael Campanaro is a late round flyer, not any kind of sure thing. You need to pay attention to the Baltimore Ravens tight end group during training camp and preseason because that will help to illuminate the upside of Michael Campanaro. Because if Ben Watson is healthy and starting, there will be no target boon over the middle for Michael Campanaro. Ben Watson can replace what Dennis Pitta was last year one for one. In his last season in the NFL before his ACL tear, Ben Watson commanded 110 targets. That was number seven in the NFL. He did that at age 34. Why can't he command 100 targets again at age 36? Tony Gonzalez did it. Tony Gonzalez was an incredibly athletic first-round pick tight end. Well, that's what Ben Watson is. And we've seen other athletic tight ends, from Greg Olson to Delani Walker, actually get better with age. And just recently, we've seen Jason Witten and Antonio Gates be productive well into their mid-30s. So why not Ben Watson? I see no reason why Ben Watson can't be the primary tight end option for the Baltimore Ravens and command 100 targets. It's absolutely in his range of outcomes. That's why I've already added Ben Watson in all my dynasty leagues that either start two tight ends or have a tight end premium 1.5 points per reception. Because Ben Watson's old and he's perceived to be washed up, you can get him for absolutely nothing in every dynasty league. So who will be the big winner on the Baltimore Ravens after Dennis Pitta retires? The answer is Ben Watson. And that's not even a difficult leap to make. It's self-evident. The next man up on that tight end depth chart is absolutely Ben Watson. It can be no one else. But there is this weird, irrational dismissiveness of old players in fantasy football. I don't understand it. Just because a player has passed age 35, fantasy gamers go out with a zeal with pitchforks and makeshift swords ready to crucify the older player and create argument after argument after argument why that player should be marginalized and why the young backup should supplant him. Except that's not how it works in real life. In real life, Antonio Gates had the option to retire this past offseason, and he didn't retire. The LA Chargers had the option to bring Antonio Gates back or not, and they opted to bring him back. Frank Gore did not retire, and the Colts opted to bring him back. Jason Witten did not retire, and the Dallas Cowboys opted to give him an extension. Yet fantasy gamers are eager to see Jason Witten removed from the passing game and replaced by Rico Gathers. I like Rico Gathers. How many other podcast hosts have devoted segments of their show to Rico Gathers? Not many. We have. Why? Because we love the athletic basketball tight ends that also have the size to be inline blockers and play on an every-down basis. That's why we love Rico Gathers as the future replacement to Jason Witten. But not this year! We're not touting Rico Gathers to be the replacement for Jason Witten this year any more than we're advocating for drafting Hunter Henry because we think he'll be the replacement for Antonio Gates this year. Neither is going to happen. Yet Hunter Henry's ADP is actually earlier in all formats than Antonio Gates. Someone explain this to me. One beat reporter speculates that Hunter Henry will be used even more this year than he was in 2018. Suddenly, every fantasy analyst in unison runs off to the extreme. Get Hunter Henry in your top five. Don't bother drafting Antonio Gates. Huh? What? 
If Frank Gore and Antonio Gates and Jason Witten and Ben Watson are wearing NFL jerseys and NFL helmets in week one, they will be starters and they will be fantasy viable. But he did tear his ACL at age 35. That is a red flag. Your body is not as elastic at 35 as it was at 25. It takes longer for muscle fibers and connective tissue to heal at 35 than it does at 25. It's a longer rehabilitation with more uncertainty. It's very possible Ben Watson cannot come back from this injury. We'll find out in training camp. If it's not Ben Watson, it's going to be Crockett Gilmore. It's not going to be Max Williams. Max Williams is still at least a year away because he didn't log a target last year. You got to log a target the previous year before I have any hope you'll be productive the following year. Max Williams is still only 23. Continue to stash him in dynasty leagues because the Baltimore Ravens do not have a long-term answer at the tight end position. Why not Max Williams in 2018? It's very possible. That would be a normal tight end breakout age. Age 25, you see Max Williams start to become fantasy viable. That just makes sense. That's normal. It would be abnormal for Max Williams to be a factor this year. So if it's not Ben Watson, it's going to be Crockett Gilmore. Crockett Gilmore is going to be a sneaky guy to stream this year if Ben Watson isn't healthy. But this Baltimore Ravens passing game just bothers me because we have all these projected targets, but we don't have enough proven efficient wide receivers to convert the targets. That's why the Baltimore Ravens would be the perfect landing spot for Jeremy Macklin. I hear the Buffalo Bills are courting Jeremy Macklin. They want him. I get it. Of course they want him. They don't have a wide receiver two of consequence. Zay Jones, Walt Powell, those are candidates to be the Buffalo Bills number two receiver. That's horrible. Although I do like Walter Powell. I own Walter Powell in multiple dynasty leagues. Don't tell anyone. And when playerprofiler.com site subscribers go to the rankings, they are always surprised to see Walter Powell ranked higher than Nelson Aguilar and rookies like Malachi Dupree. Why? Walter Powell has an upper percentile dominator rating. That's all I need to know. For that reason, that reason alone, I have Walter Powell ranked ahead of Braxton Miller. But the problem with Jeremy Macklin going to Buffalo is that Buffalo is a run-first team, and I don't think that's going to change. There's no volume in Buffalo. There's volume in Baltimore. That's why I so desperately want Jeremy Macklin to land in Baltimore because that would bring order to the force. That would give Joe Flacco an efficient go-to receiver that would shift Mike Wallace to field stretcher duties and put less pressure on Brashad Perriman to be the go-to X receiver after posting 6.7 fantasy points per game the year prior. If you're an offensive coordinator, you don't want Mike Wallace and Brashad Perriman commanding a target share above 20%. You'd like to forecast them to play specific roles on the offense in that passing game, and for Jeremy Macklin, a proven, efficient asset, to be the go-to number one wide receiver. And what about in Kansas City? What's happening in Kansas City? Well, what's happening in Kansas City is completely backwards, because the best wide receiver is also the least expensive, and that's Albert Wilson. Why do we like Albert Wilson? Why did we like Willie Sneed? Target underappreciated wide receivers that have established dominance in the passing game at one point or another in their careers. That's what Albert Wilson has done. Chris Conley has never been a dominant wide receiver at any level of football going back to his time at Georgia. And Tyreek Hill certainly has never been a dominant receiver at any level of football. 
In 2014, Tyreek Hill logged 31 receptions for 280 yards and a touchdown. 9.1 yards per reception. Now, he was heavily used as a running back, and we like wide receivers with rushing production on their resume. That's a positive signal. 534 rushing yards for Tyreek Hill at Oklahoma. Wow! But that's a positive signal for sleeper wide receivers. Those guys that have a chance of developing into NFL contributors. Tyreek Hill already broke out, and because he was neither dominant at Oklahoma State nor West Alabama, his next stop after getting kicked out, Tyreek Hill ultimately posted a 19.4% college dominator rating, 22nd percentile. And whether it was at Oklahoma or whether it was with the Chiefs last year, Tyreek Hill's yards per reception under 10 under 10. Big play, Tyreek Hill, right? You see these gifs of Tyreek Hill breaking tackles, catching long passes, scoring touchdowns. Then you look at the box score. Wait, 9.8 yards per reception? How is that possible? It's possible because Tyreek Hill is not a polished route runner. Every film grinder will concede this point. And if he's not a polished route runner, how can you project him to be the number one wide receiver for an NFL team? That's the beauty of Jeremy Macklin. He's a polished route runner. To be the primary wide receiver in the NFL, you need to be trusted to get open consistently. That's something Tyreek Hill has never been able to do and will never do. Just like Cordell Patterson has never been able to do it. Tavon Austin has never been able to do it. Justin Hunter has never been able to do it. But all those players have one thing in common. They have brief periods of time in their NFL careers where they flashed big plays. And then what happened, inevitably, the fantasy gamers were chasing the wow factor plays. That's why we have Tyreek Hill at least 10 slots lower than consensus on our seasonal rankings. Because Tyreek Hill is set up to fail. His 15.5% target share was number 72 in the NFL last year. What do you think is going to happen when that goes up? Will he continue to be as efficient? No. And he wasn't even efficient last year. The yards per target, 7.2, 68th in the league. Even while catching 73.5% of the passes thrown in his direction, he was top 10 in the NFL in catch rate, but he was outside the top 50 in yards per target. Why is that? Because all of his passes were caught very close to the line of scrimmage because he needs to be schemed open, because he lacks an understanding of the position that allows a Jeremy Macklin to get open consistently. Tyreek Hill can't do that, and I believe, like Corderell Patterson and Tavon Austin, he will never be able to do that. It's simply not in his range of outcomes to be a number one NFL wide receiver. But fantasy gamers want him to be that, so they are projecting him to be that because they want him to be that. It's nothing else but the wanting. That's it. That's the extent of the analysis. I want to see this guy in a bigger role, so I'm going to project him to have a bigger role, and that's it. Is there any evidence that he can handle a bigger role? No. What happens when NFL defenses create schemes to stop him? He's finished. What happens when number one NFL cornerbacks lock up with him? He's finished. That's the risk with Tyreek Hill. That's why his floor is so low. That's why you cannot draft him in the top 30 wide receivers in redraft. Because his floor is finishing as the number 5 receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. Behind Travis Kelsey and Albert Wilson and Chris Conley and even Kareem Hunt. That's Tyreek Hill's floor. That's why I want no part of him. I don't even think his ceiling is that high because I don't think he can efficiently convert a high target share into on-field production. 
I just don't see the fascination with Tyreek Hill. You think he's going to go ahead and replicate those 60-yard rushing touchdowns from last year? Hell no. When has any player ever replicated the 50-plus yard run consistently? Never been done. It's impossible because they're rare and they are random. I think Chris Conley is more likely to be the number one wide receiver at the end of the year than Tyreek Hill. But even that would be an upset because Chris Conley has never demonstrated consistent on-field production. We just haven't seen it. It's just like Brashad Perriman. Brashad Perriman and Chris Conley are very similar players. We know they are two of the most athletic, size-adjusted players in the NFL. Their explosiveness tests the outer limits of a football fan's imagination. I want Chris Conley to be great. I want Brashad Perriman to be great. But I've never seen them be great. So I'm put in an impossible situation where I can't project Chris Conley to command over 100 targets and be the primary receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. So by process of elimination, I'm left with Albert Wilson, the one player in this entire passing game that has experience as a dominant wide receiver for his team. And the beauty is Albert Wilson can be had in the final round of all formats. Why are you screaming, Daddy? That's the best question in the history of this podcast.